Here in Orlando, Florida, O-Town Compost is leading the composting revolution, recycling organic waste into a nutrient-rich resource. Join Charlie Pioli, founder of O-Town Compost, as we hear from the nation's leading voices behind the grassroots community composting movement. Welcome to the Community Composting Podcast. If you enjoy the Community Composting Podcast and want to support future episodes, please follow the link in the episode show notes to give a small monthly reoccurring donation, even if it's $5 to $10 a month. We'll continue to come out with killer content to keep the grassroots movement rolling. Hi, welcome to episode number 22. I'm here with Gwen Nolan of Mother Compost. Mother Compost is a composting community composting company founded in 2018, and um, they're servicing Pennsylvania's main line, which, Gwen, is that right outside of Philadelphia? Yes, it's the western suburbs of Philadelphia, so that's, that's kind of our, our territory. Okay, awesome. And to be started only, what, almost three or four years ago, you guys have grown considerably. What would you, you know, where are you at now? And what would you say is the key to your success? Yeah, I mean, we started, to be fair, our first customer signed up December 14th of 2018. So we really, 2019 is technically our kickoff year. Um, so really it's, we're completing our third full calendar year this year. Um, but, uh, you know, That's I think there's huge. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're almost at 800 subscribers. We have a couple commercial partners. Um, I think, you know, a lot of things have contributed to the growth of composting in general over the past couple of years. It's just gone from, you know, what are you talking about to I've heard of it. Tell me more. I'm curious. Um, I think people being home during the pandemic, after we got through that initial kind of like what's happening moment. Um, people were all of a sudden like, wow, I, I really am creating a lot more trash. You know, when you're just home and you're not going to the office and traveling and dropping trash as you go, you start to realize exactly what your personal impact looks like. Um, so we so did see seen a big uptick in the last couple of years since the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, um, we've been growing it like it's almost like in the beginning, the numbers, the percentages almost don't make sense because you start with one customer and then you end with 300 customers and then you end with 600, you know, it just kind of like keeps doubling. Um, I'm sure that's not going to be the, the case as we continue. Um, but, or maybe it is, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, I think in terms of making the case for composting, it's become the educational you know, grade is not quite as intense as it may have been, you know, 10 years ago. Um, in the Philadelphia area, we've also been really lucky in that there were pioneering composting companies, Bennett Compost, uh, My Kitchen Harvest, which is also who we process with, um, you know, Circle Compost, Ned Foley at two particular acres. So there's been a lot of people who've been doing this work before Mother Compost came on the scene. Um, and now there's been, um, there are additional haulers in the area. So we have a really strong group um, serving different areas. We cross territories here and there, but um, you know, it really helps because when someone's outside of my service area, I don't have to say no. 
I'm not as tempted to break my boundaries because I'm like, no, just call Colleen. She'll take care of you. Call Tim and Jen. They've got that. Um, I think that's a big thing that a lot of community composters uh, struggle with is they start getting requests outside their main service area and they feel so tempted. I know I felt like, you know, if I'm not giving people access to food waste recycling, no one will. So, you know, O-Town Compost, we expanded a little too fast in hindsight. You know, it's what's, we've made it work out now, but um, that, so your service areas are really butting up against some other community composters. And what's the conversation like with those other community composters? I know, um, you know, do you compete at all? Do you, like, what is your conversation like with them? I mean, we're, we're all really different. So we, we actually get together quite, you know, a couple times a year just to share best practices. Um, you know, there really, there's an abundance mentality at the moment. Um, there really is enough for all of us. And if everyone raised their hand to compost, I think everyone's company would sort of struggle um, to, to meet that demand, although we're for it. Um, so there's really no need for us to, to be fighting those fights. Um, sometimes we're bidding for the same business, but you know, as long as composting is getting done, then that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and we cross promote each other and do promotional things together when it makes sense. Um, it's also nice to be able, like, if there's something, as you said, you're not as tempted. You're like, listen, I'm, I can't go there, but I think they're in that area right now. Um, because that's really when you, you start to shoot yourself in the foot, when you expand too quickly and you ruin your geographic density. Um, you know, unfortunately, since we are for-profit enterprises, um, it is a numbers game, you know, and it's about how close can you go from stop to stop, um, because it's a labor and cost intensive business. So we have to be smart. Um, which is hard to tell a bunch of passionate people who got into this to redirect food waste. Um, but I think, you know, it's helpful that we have some people who've been doing this long enough to be like, here's the deal with commercial, you know, here's the deal with residential. I mean, they're all different businesses. Here's the deal with compost sales. And, um, so I think we're all kind of learning, learning our own businesses and then also learning what this composting industry is. And that's going to continue to evolve. Um, and it's nice. I'm yeah. so glad you mentioned the, you know, the business side of community composting because it, it's, you know, the passion is what we do. Our passion is kind of fueled by going home with a paycheck and that kind of sustains us to keep doing this. So, yeah, I think, and you mentioned dense route density, that is, I've said this multiple times on the podcast, that is the key uh, to, you know, being economical as a community composter. And you can't just, you know, just spread thin all over the place. But so, yeah, I mean, you you have a very good business mind for uh, Mother Compost. And uh, it looks like you have a, a financial... Uh, administrator background? Where did you grow this? Yeah, I mean, my 
My background is actually financial services. So um, I, I came, you know, my, my career path has been a twisted, <laughs> a twisted one. Um, but I started in public relations. I used to work in New York. Uh, and then I did recruiting for financial services companies, um, which that was at one time a recruiting all commission salespeople in New York City. So, you know, I do tend to find myself in some difficult, um, difficult selling positions from time to time. Um, and then I moved to the customer service side of financial services. So I would work with customers and, um, and partner with advisors to help build customer service strategies. And then I kind of moved into management. And, um, you know, by the time I was with a company for almost 10 years, uh, when I had started Mother Compost, so I was doing both for the first couple of years, um, which, and at you know. At what point where it was the threshold, like, I need to quit? <laughs> Um, I probably waited too long, um, but COVID was really actually the moment when it, it, it was impossible to do everything because I also have three kids. Um, so I used to, I did my pickups really early in the morning. Um, so, you know, at the beginning, it was just Tuesdays and Thursdays every other week. And then it was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every other week. And then it was getting to every week. Um, our first, my first employee, Tiffany, who's still with us. Um, at one point she was showing up at my house at 930 and we would like head out. And then I dropped her at like two so she could go get some sleep. And then I'd finish part of the route, go to work. Like it was wild. Wow. Um, it was silly. Um, <laughs> but that was like the only time I, you know, I'd come home, shower up, get my kids to school, go to work, sleep a couple hours and then do it all again. Um, and at the time it really didn't feel, I was like, this is just like, what has to happen? Like, let's go. Um, looking back, I'm like, how am I so tired now? <laughs> I wasn't tired I, then. Like, it makes no sense. I think you're appropriately, your business is appropriately named Mother Compost. <laughs> you were just a mom just slaying food waste. And that's crazy. I mean, I can't even say I'm tired if, if you know. I but I think it's like one of those things when something has you and, and, and you have this idea and you have all this passion for it. I was just like pouring it into it and I was learning so much and I was stretching so much of like myself that it didn't, I was like, this is awesome. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if you're a parent, Charlie, but like becoming a mom does take, you start to become this other person and you lose a lot of your personal identity because a lot of what you're doing is, is going into these wonderful little beings that you've now like become in charge of. Um, so it was also something for me, you know, driving in the truck. And since it was early in the morning, I could kind of like listen to my podcasts and zone out and doing the physical work. Um, there's something about like doing something in service, like that, that physical labor that is, sort of so rewarding beyond the office work that I was doing. I mean, obviously it's hard and it's hard to sustain. Um, but I don't know, it worked. It was yeah. part of our and origin I'm, story, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I'm not a parent uh, technically, but O-Town Compost is my baby, so. Totally, you are, you know what, you know what it feels like. So um, how like that buzz surrounding mother compost as you were gaining traction in the early years, where do you feel like most of your subscribers were coming for? And if you have like a, a story of, you know, maybe a, 
one event or one or two events where you got like just a huge uptick? Yeah, you know, it's funny. So I started, I actually asked like 10 people that I knew just to compost for a month. That was how I like, I did like a focus group just to be like, tell me if I'm crazy. Like, do you think this is something you would pay money for? Um, and I got great feedback. So, and then one, my first customer signed up, she was like, I'm, I'm not stopping this because I need this. So like, I hope you're going to go for this because like, I need to sign up today. Like, I'm not going to stop composting, but I'm also not going to start a pile. Um, so I was like, cool, got it. I got my first customers and I'll just like start doing the do. Um, and then we had a bunch of like watershed moments. Um, at, there were, there are a bunch, there's, a bunch of women doing this in the Philadelphia area. So we were in a, ma a local magazine called Grid. We were the Queens of Compost where they interviewed a bunch of us. And that was like the following, almost a year after we had been in business. So that was a big watershed moment. Um, but honestly, I mean, it's still our number one, how did you hear about us is from another composter. You know, it's basically just been a grassroots organic growth or like I saw your buckets. And I can't like they're all over my neighborhood and I just wanted to figure out what was going on. What uh, how do you focus your marketing budget? And if you do have a marketing budget, how much is it per month? <laughs> um, we don't have a strategic marketing budget right now. That's something we're looking into for 2022. But as you know, it's basically like super lean and mean, like how little can we spend on marketing and still be effective um, is basically our budget right um, so we allocate like a certain portion annually. And part of that's also like um, a lot of the townships we work in ask for sponsorship of some of their larger events. And we do like to partner and, and be a part of those things. So um, putting aside dollars for those events that we know come up every year. Um, we do a lot of social, but we do that ourselves. Um, so that's more Don't just like pay for ads or anything. No, we, we've done it occasionally, but because our geographic area is so tight, it's actually like, it doesn't work as well. If, if you have a larger geographic area, it's better. But like the person we're looking for is so small. Facebook's kind of like, what do you want me to do with this? <laughs> it's like so a stretch jealous. of road. Yeah, I'm so I'm jealous because, you know, the northeastern part of the United States is very dense. And it's ideal for commercial or haulers of any waste. And uh, here in Orlando, our biggest, our biggest two routes are focused around downtown Orlando. But, it, you know, for us, like the rest of our routes are pretty spread out. And I'm thankful if it's even like a five minute drive from stop to stop. So what we is still have habit? that too. Like yeah. the suburbs of like the further west we go, the, the the more spread it out it is from stop to stop. And it stings because that's like you don't get the I'm seeing these buckets everywhere. So you're not getting that like constant feedback. Um, so what we'll do is have like a neighborhood that jumps and goes from like two to 15, but then like there's around it, there's nothing. Um, so we still, I mean, we still have roots that literally confound me in terms of how like long, or I have to split them too early, not because of volume, just because of time. Um, so it's, it's something we still deal with, especially the further we get away from the city. Um, I so, feel like I'm always uh, adjusting the boundaries of my service area. Uh, just to always op keep them optimized 
do you do that as well? We do that quarterly, um, just like looking at it and just kind of, and then we try to plot our roots. Are you using Stop Checker as well? Yeah. Yeah. So we try to plot our roots um, so that our driver's not like constantly re going in a completely different direction. Um, and then we re-optimize them monthly um, just to make sure they're as efficient as possible, but, um, or like every six weeks, depending on the route. Um, because we, I do, especially the, the denser routes, like we don't really need the optimist. Those extra two minutes actually don't save us time um, because the driver gets confused half the time, like, cause they're used to doing it one way. Right. Um, and then the, the more spread out routes where a new sign up actually changes the look of everything um, we have to kind of pay closer attention to. Um, but we try not to, to fudge with our service areas too much um, at least not to expand to let new people in, um, because if we're not, if we're not dense enough in the further West area, then we really shouldn't be extending it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's hard, it's hard to keep yourself honest there, but we try, we really try. Yeah. And I noticed your, um, your, at least two employees that I saw on your website, they're also, uh, ladies. And are, what are their roles and what is your role now in Mother Compost? I mean, uh, we all do it all still. Um, but uh, so, yes, I have two women who work with me, Tiffany Kennedy and Jane Matt. Um, and we are essentially the leadership team right now. So we're the, they're both working. Um, Tiffany's five days a week. Jane's uh, five days a week. Um, so both, both full time and um more than five days a week at this point. Um, and then we have one driver, Jacob, and then another driver in training right now, Scott. So we have two gentlemen on the team as well who are just driving for us today. Um, Jacob has a background in film, so he does help on specific projects. But as we grow, we're try I'm trying not to have people come in and do all the things because it usually just confuses the heck out of everyone in terms of what they're supposed to be doing on a daily basis. So the leadership team will drive if Jacob or uh, your oh, we do are on the schedule to drive. Yes, I'm oh, driving okay. this week. Yeah, um, oh. I don't drive that much anymore, and that'll probably as we grow, I'll drive less and less. But um, I like to drive um, occasionally. I think it helps um, me kind of know what's going on out there and. Um, also, we're training somebody, so I love to spend time with someone in the car just to like get it. You know, we don't. Um, we're kind of still working remotely, so we don't get to be together that much. Um, most yeah. of our drivers are deployed by themselves, which everyone prefers because they just like to zone out and do their job. But um, you know, it's 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 good time to be to get to know somebody. You know, that kind I of just like really like I. Um... I do, you know, that was the first person I hired to drive. And then I kind of lost touch with driving for a while, but that person had to go on vacation. And the next thing you know, I'm hiring an, another driver uh, or I'm covering their routes. And then I had to hire another driver. So I had to do a ride along with uh, a totally unfamiliar route, but it does kind of keep you in touch with the way things are going and after doing the ride along i like restructured all our routes because i saw all these efficiencies 
But I love the fact that the leadership team is also, you just wear all the hats. I feel like, you know, this mother compost like O-Town is not like a big corporation. We can't just no. have like a administrator and no. an accounting department. And so. I wish, I mean, I, I like, <laughs> and there are days where I long for that, but you know, as it grows, you're also like, I recognize that there the same way I look back on those early days and I'm like, it was crazy, but it was kind of fun. I'm sure I'm going to look back on this in the same way. And it's, again, it's a lot like having a kid. You're like, the, the early years are hard. They're super physical. They're super labor intensive. You're just like doing so much. Um, but it's cool because they're, they're little and they're so happy. And I don't know, I feel like everyone in the company right now is so for the mission. We're all here for the same purpose. We're so aligned in that way. Um, but as you grow, you're going to hire people who are come from different backgrounds and have different perspective, which is so valuable from a company perspective. Um, but it's hard. It's hard then to keep that identity. It becomes like more mentally tough than the physical. Um, and that's like kids. Then they become teenagers and you're like, oh, and now we're in a whole different realm. It's like mind games. <laughs> I guess I'm ready for kids now. Um... Yeah, there you go. You've already done. <laughs> you've done your training. Congratulations. So... That's good to hear. Um, I noticed that you, so you said you only have a few commercial partners and can you talk a little bit about them and what type of generators they are? Like, are they restaurants, cafes? Yeah, definitely. So um, since we kind of basically started in 2019, 2020 obviously wiped out commercials. So we're just starting to get those inquiries and, and stuff coming back online over the last six months, I would say. Um, our current commercial partners are local universities and like small parts, like back of the house of the universities, one's a student group and um, composting within um, some on-campus apartment housing. And uh, another is a, a local catering company that is um, committed to being zero waste. Wow, how'd you get uh, the catering company sign on? Because we have been struggling with our event service and we're thinking of targeting catering companies as well as venues. And lastly, just like couples signing up for their wedding. Yeah, that's yeah, we do private event stuff too. Um, but this is more they just for their kitchens compost all their waste. Um, and again, they came to us. I mean, they were they were looking for a solution. As you start to take on more food scraps, you realize very quickly that you need a better composting system to process the material. This is why I highly recommend the aerated static pile micro bin designed and made easy by O2 Compost. In 60 days, I have finished compost without putting in the labor of turning the pile. The piles heat up to over 140 degrees, killing pathogens, weed seeds, and fly larvae, making the end product safe to use in the garden. With 32 plus years of experience in the compost industry, Peter Moon, owner of O2 Compost, is a leading expert in the field of ASP composting. I encourage you to set up a free half an hour consultation with Peter Moon by going to his website, www.o2compost.com. That's the letter O, the number two, compost.com. If you mentioned that you heard about O2 Compost on this podcast, you'll receive a 10% discount on the purchase of the Microbin Compost Training Program. But yeah, so they're just committed to zero waste. So they're kind of like your typical customer. 
where they came to you and how do you do your service for your commercial customers? You know, you're probably some of these commercial clients you're picking up like close to a thousand pounds in one pickup. So. Yeah. I mean, right now we're trying to build it into residential routes when we can just for efficiencies. Um, our larger university one is close to where we tip. So that's typically just its own trip after a tip, which adds a little bit of time, but the truck's already out and in motion. Um, we're currently just doing weekly service for our, our existing commercial customers. Um, and we're trying to grow really intentionally there, uh, both because residential still are our bread and butter. And um, well, there's three reasons. Uh, obviously you need a lot equipment, um, you know, just more of everything to service commercial properly. Um, I was advised once by a uh, Tim Bennett of Bennett Compost, that uh, commercial is tough. He's like, stick with residential, the margins are better. You just have to get big. Um, but it's true, commercial, you run into a lot more contamination. There's a lot more training and education that has to go into it. And you lose a lot of control over what's going into the containers. So um, we're really trying to strategically partner with people who are doing this for the right reasons, who are committed to the education part of it, who understand that we literally cannot have contamination and will refuse loads if they are contaminated uh, because our uh, processing site is, is, a, is a hero and a guru and he doesn't need that. So we're not gonna be bringing that to him. Um, so we're making sure that anyone we partner with is really clear on where we stand and it's, and I don't mean to say this in a negative way because companies are going to have to make whatever choices, but they're not doing this just for the PR benefit of saying that we compost. They're right. doing this because they are ready to make the cultural shift required to do this correctly. And they want a company that is willing to help them get through that process. And, and I believe we are the right fit for that type of company, company commercial business. So have you said no to some requests on the commercial yes. side? Okay. Yeah, I would say um, it's a little bit different for us. You know, I come from the waste industry, recycling in particular, and my idea of contamination in the recycling industry is like 40, 30%, which is egregious. I, I totally Egregious. Yeah, that's like, you can't do anything with that material. It's just trash. So composting, I think it, you know, it's all about making that cultural change. Uh, but I kind of understand, especially maybe here in Orlando, Florida, where, you know, there wasn't even food waste recycling prior to O-Town Compost and the city of Orlando starting their own hauling division. But I feel like um, contamination, unfortunately, is kind of part of uh, getting people to compost here in Orlando. And, you know, our tolerance for contamination is pretty low, like 1% by volume, uh, which may not sound like that much, but when you're talking about- It can that, be, if, it, if yeah, there's volume, yeah. Uh, it really pisses you off as the yeah. driver lifting the lid to find that. But, um, you know, I make sure we have a contact, the manager, the kitchen manager, the chef, 
And, you know, I, I instruct our drivers to lift the lid right there at pickup and, you know, take photos, let, um, you know, and text the, the contact, the photos and any like a friendly reminder, like, hey, we don't accept this. Like, I think where a lot of recycling has gone wrong is we've just let recyclables continue to be contaminated. Waste haulers are out for speed and efficiency, though, so they continue to pick it up. And, you know, with composting, we can't do that. And I'm glad you're being really strict because um, I think we, we just in general need to be really strict about what we accept. Um, and, you know, I, I totally have agree. Like it's, I'm actually, I mean, again, I'm like a kid in this business. So, um, <laughs> I still have my rose colored glasses on, but you know, composting is still relatively young, especially in the residential and commercial side. It's still new. So we, O-Town, Mother Compost, and all these community composters have the ability to say we're not going to let this go the way of recycling while it's still in our hands so is the education and that is also why i think residential even though it gets overlooked because we kind of chase volumes and i don't know what that says about us as humans we're like oh bigger impact and it's mainly bigger headaches um but if we can teach people how to do this at home then when they go to their local restaurant or to their local sporting event or their local school, they'll know what to do with this third container. It is not going to freak them out or panic them in any way. And 40, what is it, 40, 43% of all of our waste comes from the residential market. We always wanna blame these larger generators, but actually it's us, it's all of us in our homes every day. That's the biggest, largest section of waste created in the US. So that is why I don't think this is something that businesses should have to take on their backs, especially after COVID-19 and what has happened to our local restaurants, to all our local purveyors. They haven't, like, even with my team, I'm like, I'm not even comfortable aggressively going after sales in that market because they, they can't take on an additional line item right now. I mean, who? Yeah. Who can, you know, they've been through it and they need to survive. And I totally respect that um, and want them to. I love to go out to eat. <laughs> um, so, you know, why do we continue to push? You know, it, it has to start at home and, and we can educate people one by one, individual by individual and, and, and truly make a difference there. That reminds me of my hometown, Portland, Oregon. They have two composting sites outside the city where the residential curbside yard debris and food scraps gets taken to, to the compost mm -hmm. site. Still, they experience a lot of contamination, unfortunately, but, you know, they're in, the drivers are instructed just to tip the loads, not really inspect. Uh, but then the the smart thing about Portland is they take all their commercial food scraps to an anaerobic digester, and that's that stream they see like twenty percent contamination, which is bonkers if you're like talking about food waste. But at least the anaerobic digesters can handle it a little bit better than us composters, especially as community composters like. 
I don't have like a conveyor belt to run this stuff over and our trucks we have the grabbers in them like the the for people who are older and can't reach things we have literally those grabbers and they're also now we're being marketed to for a lot of late adult products which I find fascinating um but yeah that's I'm like if you see it in the pile get it out like do what we can because our we're working with an on-farm composting you know it's basically like a two-man show um what is his um you said his tolerance for contamination is like virtually no non-existent you just don't want to do that to him no I don't want to do that to him I mean he's gently you know he's yeah. He's a wonderful, wonderful person and makes a very, very high quality product, which is amazing. It's great to be able to know that like when we hand it off, it's in the best hands possible. Um, but yeah, he's like, you get like one strike. And I'm like, I get it. Like fair. Um, and we and we've been good. I mean, we we drop clean loads and but occasionally you have to pull something out. And the more yeah. we do commercial, the more diligent we have to be because it's harder to inspect. 64 gallon container than it is a five gallon bucket what is that agreement like do you get any finished compost back and what do you do with that finished compost also does he charge you tipping fees what is his kind of incentive like you said he makes compost himself yeah so he's processing all the compost there Um, so he works with a local farm. Um, we do pay him tipping fees and then we get a discounted rate on any compost we purchase back in bulk, which is the only way he sells it. Um, what we do is we bag compost, um, customers can register for give backs in the spring, which we will deliver to them. And then we sell the balance, which usually kind of gets us whole on that entire give back operation. Um, and then we sell to customers as needed, um, but we basically just sell compost to be able to do the compost give backs and not lose money on that product. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where we are in terms of, of compost, because um, bagging compost is a thankless, godless job. Um, <laughs> yeah. oh, I mean, talk about backbreaking. Give me a bucket to pick up any day. That is, <laughs> bagging is rough. Um, yeah. And then he, so half of what um, is produced is used on the farm where it is produced. And then he sells balance of it to people like us, um, to uh, construction companies, especially in environmentally sensitive areas. They're starting to require that compost be used. Um, And then um, he has like private label agreements with steel manufacturers as well. So, um, and he also does his own pickups. And um, so we, we cross territories too. How far of a drive is he from uh, where your truck's dispatched? We're super lucky. It's it's like 20 minutes. So it's it's basically an endpoint for all of our routes go directly there. Um, so it's it's ideal. And we can drop whenever. What does, um, like, you know, for a lot of community composters, we're not talking tons on a route. We're talking like a couple, few hundred pounds. How do the tipping fees work? Does he have like a floor scale or? No, we don't weigh it. So what we just do is track the um, the numbers and then we've agreed upon a rate per container. Um, and then I just send at the end of the week, this is how much we dropped. Oh, okay. That's great. So, um, yeah, we kind of back into it. I mean, he's $60 a ton. So it, the math all comes out to be about the same. And um, again, it's, there's no, we can drop whenever. Um, basically it's open all the time, which is super convenient. 
Um, he's great to partner with. How do you drop when someone isn't there to like cover the food scraps or, you know, so just- he, I mean, he, he knows when we're like, he knows the days that we're going to be dropping scraps and then he manages his schedule as needed. Oh, so, okay. um, he just as long, I mean, we, if I'm going to drop one like a Saturday, which is abnormal, I just give him a heads up, um, that we had a special event and we have all this material and we got to drop it and he'll figure it out gotcha. or let me know if I can, but that's actually never happened. And the way mother compost first came into my vision was scrolling through Instagram, seeing your guys's easy dump, uh, which is like a Perkins. And I was like, well, what vehicle is that? That looks really cool. And I did some more research because we're at the point where we really needed to upgrade our commercial routes. Um, and now I notice you have two of those. They're essentially like pickup trucks, you know, heavy duty pickup trucks with like a dump body in the back. But we also- actually have one of those. We have another oh. big, big pickup truck, but it doesn't have a dump on it. Oh, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, but, Charles. Yeah. And then, like, in addition to the dump body, you have a hydraulic, it has a hydraulic tipper in it. And yeah. we were lucky enough to find one at a very reasonable price here in town. Uh, but is that the vehicle you're doing your residential pickups too in as well we do both yeah we flex it so we do both um because it has two side hatches that you can open easily to tip buckets into um and then there's a uh you're not doing the bucket swap no okay no and that was really um we when i went to was trying to figure out what to purchase next um, I was looking at the Mercedes van. I talked to Compost Nashville about how they do it, those diesel vans, and it just looks so pretty um, and so clean. Uh, but, you know, again, we're not they're like- expensive though. <laughs> they're very expensive, um, but it's also like the bucket washing. I was like, ah, I just, oh, I don't know. And well, since we're not trucking our materials so far away, you know, they have to take, they, you know, they have a, they basically bring it back transfer station style and then haul use their enormous vehicle to take it all out to the farm. Uh, we don't have to do that. We can terminate at the farm for pretty much all of our routes right now. So um, that's why doing the swapping and the washing. Just In really your residential it. subscriptions, do you offer weekly and bi-weekly? No, we're just offering bi-weekly right now. Oh, okay. That's, that's, Awesome. What if uh, a family? Oh, I did see this on your website. You offer like multiple buckets. Like yeah. I was thinking if a family of six or eight, how would they manage with one four gallon bucket? But yeah, now I understand. Yeah. Yeah. So there are, uh, and we, I mean, we actually have the round and the square buckets going right now. So we have five and four, but we're moving back to the five, the fours. There's a, we had a lot of issues. I think they're great for swap programs, but the lids are rough um, in terms of our drivers. This is another thing when you're driving, you're like, damn, these are big. Yeah. Um, and also um, they're hard to get and they were out of stock. So, I mean, you know, every materials are just a pain right now. So we're just yeah, going back. It's easier gallons. to find a five gallon white bucket than a four gallon square one. So I'm sure bootstrap compost in Boston shaking their fist at you as they 
try to find their own white five gallon buckets. Yeah, I mean, everyone, I mean, we're all, there's so many people using the five gallons, but uh, yeah, so um, so we're still, we're still learning a lot, you know, trying things and, and. Uh, well, maybe the, you know, the fact people have to keep their buckets clean isn't a big deal. Uh, as considering your numbers, like 800 subscribers and so such little time. I mean, uh, have you, like, what are some feedback you've heard, heard from your subscribers on how they keep their bucket clean? Have you gotten anyone who signed up and then was like, yuck, and then canceled? I mean, definitely. It doesn't happen as much as you'd think, um, but we clean the containers after each service. So that is how the containers stay clean. Um, so we, we spray it with a vinegar solution and wipe it out. Um, so that helps. I think my goal really in starting this was not to get people who were already like understood what composting was, but that next people yeah. who are like, I'm interested, but it can't be gross and weird. Um, and I'm like, it's not, it's going to be super easy. You're going to love this. You're going to take your trash out once a week. Um, so, so bin washing was sort of like very important because I was thinking to myself, I'm like, the second I get a dirty bin back, I'm like, I'm out. I'm just out. I've got three kids. I got a full-time job. I got all this stuff. I cannot hose down this bin, which is ridiculous. Of course I could hose down that bin, but like, <laughs> you know, it's just that, that one little thing that, that proverbial straw. Um, so that's a big part of what we do. And um, it does take time. It adds time, to, a lot of time to the route. Um, and especially as people have more than, you know, one or two containers. Um, but I, I think it's important. And uh, yeah, it saves you time on the back end washing buckets. Well, it does. Yeah. Because yeah. like, uh, basically, the, when we looked at bin swap, I was like, you're still clean, then you're cleaning buckets for you're standing there cleaning them for hours. It's almost easier just to do it on route. And then also, you know, up where we are in the winter, when everything's frozen, um, it's not as hard to clean. But if you're at the farm trying to unsnap a bunch of frozen lids when it's 30 degrees outside, you're you're in you're in a circle of hell. Yeah. Nobody wants to be there. Once you get to the farm, you're like, I just want to tip and go. Like I don't want to spend that much time out here freezing my yeah. neck off. Um yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Um, forgot what I was going to ask, but I think, yeah, washing buckets is, you know, we do it uh, and it probably takes us, we have about 400, over 400 subscribers. It might take one person 10 to 12 hours a week. Uh, but, you know, that's not the most fun job for that person. <laughs> if you had two people washing, like I think again of Bootstrap Compost, they have like a warehouse team of two or three people. And I think like that builds morale if more people are doing that together. Uh, but you got to consider that as overhead. You know, that's not like you know, that, that's not like, and you have to be set up for it. You've got to have a, a warehouse facility where two people can work side by side. You got to have a place to be drying and a place to be washing and a place, you know, you got to have the space for it. I mean, do you guys pretty much, you don't have like a warehouse or like a place where your trucks dispatch from? 
We do, but we're just sharing space with a landscaping company right now. So we don't have like a ton of storage and, and all that stuff happening. I mean, we're kind of operating like um, out of my house, um, out of that location, and then everyone's sort of working remotely unless we have to be together. You're very lean and mean. And we are and lean and mean. <laughs> well, we, but you know, we you got to pick and choose what you're going to spend money on. So it's hard. Um, One of my mentors, you know, told me when I was starting up O Town Compost is you got to stay lean and mean throughout you know, your early years, at least, uh, because, you know, it's just not going to work out unless you can, like, really cut out some of the, the fat. And yeah, that's why, again, like, everyone I employ should be able to do all the different roles. And you can't, we don't have, like, an accounting department or a marketing department. It's just kind of up to us. And it's more fun that way, I think. I mean, when I was well, working- creative, you're forced to be like, all right, this is what we're dealing with. Like, what's the plan? Um, yeah, I mean, there's pros and cons, like everything, you know, and you can't, you, you can't get something for nothing and you have to make hard choices. And physical locations are, you know, I think there's an element of like this now I feel official. Um, that's real and beneficial to the team. So I don't think it should be like undercounted, but it's also like- yeah, but so is being paid a really nice, like a good wage and like <laughs> other things like versus just having space that no one's really going to be at um, because we're either driving or out bin delivering or like doing the do. Um, so it's it's hard. I mean, I, the thing I keep running into is like cash flow runs the show. Like it's, can you flow it? And if you can't or you're not sure, the answer is no. Like, and maybe it's not no forever, but like, so, if you, yeah. it's not like a try like you're like we can't do our job without this you're like okay well then you have to do that but like if you can then wait like and three months from now you may be in a different position but i that i dislike this lesson intensely about running a business because i always have big ideas and i always want to do all the things but then i have to look at the numbers and be like not today yeah. you'll get no. around to it yeah, it's hard. I mean, but it's like, what's more important? Like our people are more important. Having the right equipment is more important. Um, you know, like adding a person to the team versus having a physical space where no one can go because everyone's driving anyway. Um, in terms of like a true office, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you have more people, then people don't have to drive and like kill themselves out on the road doing this very physical job. Um, so I know it's always a it's always a give and take, I guess. Yeah, uh, that's a great kind of conclusion. I kind of the last question I want to ask you is about your finances, and you know I'm just realizing this month it it recently was the end of the month, so I'm doing my finances and really like I'm not too. I feel like the income statement balance sheet aren't too important. I'm looking at the cash flow statement mostly. Yeah. And basically what that is, is like the inflow of your revenue and outflow of expenses um, over the course of those like 30, 31 days. Uh, but yeah, like tell me how you look at your cash flow statement and 
what are like some of the key takeaways? Do you get like really excited when you see you had a positive month and you're like, how can I spend that money? Or are you going to squirrel it away? Um, yeah. So two things. I mean, I numbers, um, I have a complicated relationship with numbers because um, so often they are telling me things I can't do. Uh, but I have a bookkeeper who I also pay to be my CFO. So we, she kind of mines everything for me in terms of payroll and all that stuff. So she's kind of taking that so that I can kind of free my headspace there. Um, and then we do a monthly variance analysis. So what did we think we were going to make and what did we make? What do we think we were going to spend and what do we spend and where did we spend it? Just so we can see if there are expenses that keep cropping up, like trucks keep breaking down or, you know, there's always going to be something you didn't expect. So we try to expect it as much as possible um, so that when we build our budget for next year, we have really, really good data. Um, so that's something that we do every month. Um, and then if, um, if I see a positive month and I don't know why, then it's about finding out why that is. But more than often than not, it's, it's clear um, what happened and what caused that increase. Um, and then if not, like if we didn't hit our subscriber, our projected subscriber numbers, and we didn't bring in as much as we thought, why did that happen? Do we need to revise our numbers? Because again, we, this is our third full year in operation, but 2020 was 2020 and 2019 was our first year. So even now we're like, is this normal? You know, summers was slower for residential signups, which you anticipate. We offer a 30-day free trial. Like if you're going on vacation in July, you're like, I'm not going to do it now. I'm going to do it in September. Um, so like that, we kind of baked that in, but just kind of memorializing that and seeing if it proves out year over year, or maybe we're wrong, or maybe this was just a weird year. Um, so we're still trying to figure out that, that kind of data. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any money that comes in is essentially going to just insulate us for the month when the money doesn't come in because I know those are coming too. Um, I, we're not at a place right now where money, extra money in means surplus for the business. It just means like, cool, we did what we needed to do this month and we didn't overspend in an area that we had no idea. But like, we're one truck breakdown away from, you know, God forbid we lose a tranny. And are you able to pay yourself? Yes, although I don't always because sometimes I just want to invest back into the business, but that is something that like 2022 is a more consistent, will be more consistent for myself. That's what I'm saying to myself too, as I pay myself a couple hundred dollars a month, 2020. Yeah, it's just to have that line item, you know, because, well, the reality is if you have to replace yourself at any time, no one can do your job for free, so... Yeah. It's not healthy for the company if you're not. Um, but, you know, then I get yeah, stars in my eyes over a big fancy truck or a dump and I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah, you should really bake that into your budgeting. You, you have you have to. It's 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 bad business not to. So I yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad you said that. Um, I guess. You know, my my last question for you is where do you see Mother Compost in like five to 10 years? I know Bennett Compost, they've been around for 10 years. Do you kind of use them as kind of like a role model? And um, do you see yourself getting more heavily into the commercial sector? 
or do you see yourself starting your own processing site? You know, I think we're going to do a little bit of it all, to be honest, Charlie. Um, you know, we're going to continue to, to look for strategic commercial partners because there are people who want to be composting. Um, processing in PA is really tight. There are not that many locations. So we absolutely want to be involved in helping to get more processing capability in our geographic area. Yeah, we just, it has to happen for us to be able to grow our business. Um, so we'll absolutely want to be participating in that and working with both local farms and also, um, you know, working with the DEP and local governments on how we can create both small scale infrastructure and, and larger facilities. Um, I do think that Pennsylvania's, you know, um, Bennett is actually getting the first uh, provisional permit within the city limits of Philadelphia. It should be, if it's not a go right now, it should be very, very soon, um, which will start to, right now there's only two permits available in Pennsylvania, like an on-farm permit, which is only for a working farm, and then like the equivalent of a landfill. And there's really no middle ground. Um, so this provisional permit that Bennett's getting could create um, I'm, I'm struggling with the word, but uh, what's that legal term where precedence for oh. um, these kind of smaller scale operations to have a permitted process. Um, so we'll be, we'll be work, working to partner with people on that um, since that isn't something we have deep, deep knowledge in, um, but we, you know, we want to be involved in helping to build the infrastructure for processing here in Pennsylvania. Uh, we're also going to be doing more on the educational side, so building up um, how we educate people about what composting is and backyard composting. Because again, if you don't want to do it with us, especially in the state of Pennsylvania, you can easily compost in your backyard um, and providing a you know, playbook and a resource there because we just need to educate so many more people on why composting is like a baseline. Like composting has to go. This isn't even the most, like yeah. this is number five in terms of six in like the food waste recovery hierarchy. But like, if we can't make composting happen, I really don't know what our hope, the hope is yeah, going forward. So. Benefits with composting, like solar, you know, renewable energy is cool, but like, composting is just like ticking all the boxes when it comes to keeping it's simple it's a simple elegant solution designed by nature which has 50 million years of r&d so like <laughs> let's just do that one um so i really think that there's an educational curve that still needs to be um you know we, we need to flatten it quite a bit um, and, and that's something we love creating content and, and talking to people. That's like something that gets us super hyped. So uh, that's going to be a big focus for us going into next year as well. Well, Gwen, thank you so much. Definitely check out Mother Compost on Instagram and we'll link your website in the show notes. It's been a great conversation. I definitely wish you luck and we'll, we'll stay in touch. Sounds good, Charlie. You too. Have a good one. You too. Thanks Take for having me. Please rate and review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to. If you feel like this is good content and you're learning a lot about composting.